You're listening to Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. Back again with new episodes. Though I should say, though I've been on a hiatus with the free episodes, there have been premium episodes on the Flux blog Patreon the entire time, including miniseries about flops, about pavement, about Led Zeppelin, about uh, technology, about U2's legendary uh, flop pop, all the way through, and you can hit that up, patreon.com slash fluxblog, and you can just like, $5 in one month will give you access to just a ton of stuff. Also, uh, archival interviews with all sorts of artists uh, of Montreal, Hot Chip, Androids, uh, Bell and Sebastian, they're in there. Um, this episode features Tom Sharpling, uh, one of my great radio heroes, and uh, we'll be talking about his book that came out last year, and we'll be talking about uh, Bruce Springsteen a lot at some point in this. There's a lot of stuff. Tom's really one of the great talkers. And uh, yeah, so also next week, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen next week. Next week will be Nabil Ayers, who is the president of Beggar's Group in the United States, which includes 4AD, Matador, uh, XL, etc. And he has a new book out called My Life in the Sunshine, which you can check out now and come back and hear him next week. But here we go. This is Tom Sharpling. All right, I'm here with Tom Sharpling. Tom, tell people who you are. Um, I am the host of uh, a, a weekly show called The Best Show, which used to be on WFMU and is for the last bunch of years been uh, an independent uh endeavor i am a writer i i write for tv is generally my day job but i wrote a book last year and that was uh a, like a memoir uh that was a very satisfying experience and something i'm probably the most proud of that i've done Outside of the radio show is the best is the book, and which is it, it never ends. It never ends. The book's called Thank You. The book's called Got to plug the book. I appreciate it's like a year. It. It's been a but, year, but there's a paperback coming soon. So get ready uh, for people who want to check the book out and check it out at a lower price point than those a little less heavy in the bag a little less heavy in the bag less cumbersome not gonna take up as much shelf space um yeah and there's gonna be an extra uh chapter i wrote for it uh about the experience of doing the book and there's gonna be some uh like a, a cartoon one of the previous chapters is now illustrated in addition to being in prose form um That'll be in there, and uh, yeah, so there's a little extra stuff for people, and I also will, because I'm a man of the people, I will put that stuff up on on uh, the the book's website, so that that way I'm not making people buy a book twice. So if if, if you bought the hardcover, you'll be able to read it uh, for free on the website. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna punish people for supporting the hardcover book. I supported the uh, audio book because I just wanted to hear your voice. Oh, thank you. No, I... 
I'm just so used to hearing your voice. It's been like 20 years of regularly hearing your voice. So it would feel weird to just see it all in print. Yeah. And that was a tricky part of the whole thing was that aspect. Matthew was like literally one of the trickiest parts of the whole process for me was that I talk so much and have this, whatever you want to call it, an established type of way of talking. And, but then wanting to, to continue to, to talk to the reader, the way I talk to the listener of the show, but then to also not make it just feel like it was some like that. It's not a transcribed book that I was just talking to a tape recorder for three days. No, I actually wrote the book and had to make it find a way to make the voice work on the page. And, um, and then I finally did it and I was so happy with it. And then it was like, oh, well now we're going to do the audio book and that'll be a piece of cake. Cause that's what I do is talk all the time. That That's the easiest part of this whole thing. And it turned out to be maybe the hardest part of the whole thing because I had never read the thing out loud, the book. I just wrote it in silence. And then suddenly I'm got some engineer that I never met before staring at me and you know time is time is money here and i'm trying to figure out like how do i say these things it was a very it was such a strange experience and how many days of work is that um it 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 was about a week it was about i would i was working i was working a, a a day job and then i would go at night to the studio and record for you know four or so hours a day every day for I think four four days and they said that we got it done about ten hours qu- quicker more quickly than uh, they had planned which I was that was a nice surprise but it was like it was truly strange because I what I had assumed would be just a a cakewalk had these strange challenges that only showed up literally in when it was like go time. And so you were never like reading the pages out loud, like just to make sure they flowed or anything like that. When I did it, when I wrote it, no, absolutely not. I never read it out loud once. I just would read it over and over, but I didn't ever, I didn't ever read it out loud. I just, cause I, cause I was so, concerned with making it its own experience that was a book first that I it just it was a strange it was a strange place to end up and the, and the way audiobooks are recorded is also strange because you know I've done voiceover stuff for cartoons and things like that I, I one of the other things I have done is I was the dad on Steven Universe um and you know, it did Adventure Time and a few other cartoons, and like you have a whole other audience that knows you for that. Yeah, and it's a very strange thing that there are people that know that and um, only that, and have found the found the best show through that is truly mind blowing. I'm still not used. That still blows my mind when somebody says. I watched Steven Universe and then I decided to check out the best show. It just seemed like who go, who goes yeah, in the door that of, way? There are different energies, but I guess, but you know, they have like, they just like the sound of your voice. Yeah. And I, it's a good, and it, they're good, sh- they're good shows in completely different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the reason I got 
the Steven Universe job was because of the best show because Rebecca Sugar listened to the best show. And so it was a very, it was very clean in that regard. But it was so, so I guess what I'm trying to say is, I had done plenty of stuff doing voice, being in the booth, as they say. And uh, so I was now suddenly in the booth. But unlike when you do a cartoon, they'll be like, all right, do it three times. And then give, then they'll give notes on it. Then they'll say, do it three more times, making the, you know, saying it faster or more excited, whatever the adjustment is they want you to make. But when you do an audio book, basically you just read and read and read until you mess up. And it's one file. It's one giant file that they're keeping that, because if you think about it, it would take, it would take until the end of time to assemble an audiobook If they were doing multiple takes of each paragraph, you'd have, you'd be dropping 400 hours of audio in front of somebody and saying, pick the best takes. Oh yeah. Would, so the way, the way they're doing it is it's kind of a simple pro tools kind of situation. Yeah. It's like, it's a live, it's basically a live read as much. And it's, it's to see how long you can keep it going. So I kind of wasn't used to that. And I was like, all right, but I can, I can roll with this. Let's figure it out. But the parts that I wasn't ready for would be when the, for what would trip me up doing the audio book would be stuff like, talking about my dad dying for example and then so suddenly i'm reading a thing about yeah and then my dad then you know i got to the hospital but it was too late my father had died and then i would trip on that line and they'd go all right we'll back it up now we'll do it again you revisit your pain a few more times <laughs> and i'm hearing it, it clear, i'm hearing clean. myself again i'm hearing the previous sentence in the headphones because they're playing me in so i'm hearing myself go and the call from the neighbor, I knew something was wrong. And I, they said something happened to my father and I didn't know what. So I'm hearing that play back. And now all of a sudden I'm getting all upset again. And then I have to say, and then when I saw my look on my mother's face and my sister's face, I knew my father had died. And I would fumble it again. And then it would fumble the line after that, finally getting that one right. And I'd have to hear that played back over. It was such a strange experience to have to like be like taunted by, um, by my own life. It, um, the only thing I can compare it to, and I don't know if I've ever told anybody, I went to see a, somebody I knew had a screening of a movie that they had directed and it was like a raunchy comedy and we went to this screening of it. It was only like 10 people and there was like a tech problem with it and the thing kept breaking down. So they had to keep rewinding it five minutes back, five minutes back, five minutes back. So we ended up watching a scene where some guy ejaculated on his jacket and then his mother thought it was like bird poop and cleaned it off. Like I, I saw that scene eight times <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to name the movie. I guess uh, aficionados out there will track it. They can track it, it down if they want. But um, it was like, this scene is not meant to be seen eight times, but it, felt, it was like clockwork orange stuff where you're <laughs> staring at it over and over. Like how many times are going to watch this guy's like, 
you know, semen all over his jacket and then his mother. It's like a scene I never wanted to see once. And now I'm seeing it like I'm a, like like I'm a super fan forever. Yeah. Like fans of that movie have not seen that scene as much as I have seen it. But that's what it was like doing an audio book. The, the effect of the audiobook of, as a listener, it kind of felt a bit like a, like if the best show you did, like a, a one-man show version of it, like a Spalding Gray kind of thing. Or was that guy who kind of like sits behind a desk? Is, you Spalding know, the kind Gray. of No, it will him, but there's, there's the other guy. I can't remember his name. He did like something about like Steve Jobs and Apple. And, uh, oh, and oh, that's Mike. Uh, Mike, Mike Daisy. Daisy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was the one who had a little bit of a... Uh, a thing that some of the details were not uh i think they had to do some sort of retraction on that if i remember correctly right and it, and it kind of got on this american life too and they got they had to got yeah mess as well i think everybody got dinged on that one um but but that's that's really interesting to hear that that's what it's like because that's actually that's very appealing to me because i thought in the early days of doing, of getting ready to do this book, I'm like, I never did a book. I don't know what this is going to be like. So I had planned like, maybe I'll do shows at a small theater, you know, like a 75 seater or something for people who clearly would be on board with the best show or whatever I do. It's not going to be like, strangers will be playing to playing to uh like the home crowd um and i thought maybe i'll just like workshop the book over time read part like read parts see what plays see what doesn't play and i really thought about doing that at one point and it would be some kind of like spalding gray was one of the people i had been thinking about in that regard but then it was kind of like, look, it's hard enough just writing a book. That's hard enough. But to to have now I'm going to worry about theater commitments and things. It would just it would have been just way it would have been making it so much harder on myself. And once I settled in, I was able to kind of trust the the experience on its own anyway and just appreciate it. it's like, oh, this book it's coming together and I can feel it coming together and I don't need to workshop it publicly because it also was a different energy anyway. I wanted it. I really, as a growing up fetishizing books to the degree I have, I didn't want it to feel like I had said any version of, Oh, it's just a transcribed best show or it's, yeah, I was going to say, like, it, there's there's a lot of things in this book that benefit from not having been in public at all. So the experience of reading or listening to it, it, it you know, as a person who's been listening to your show for like 20 years or so, yeah. you know, it's it's nice to have like genuine things. I had no idea about oh. you. And I think that was the, the case for the vast majority of people, even people who are closer oh, to you. Oh, look, I could count, I'm not telling you, I could count on one hand the amount of people who knew some of the stuff. So it was, I knew that was going to be, that was a part of the experience, not to sound like some Machiavellian, uh, you know, like long-term planner or whatever, but maybe I was, 
in some regard because I knew certain things wouldn't, I never wanted to talk about on the show that if I was to ever talk about them, it would be in a book because I, because, because again, I'm doing the show live. Best show's always been live. So the fear is if you don't get it right, the one time that you've got the floor to do it, I did it wrong and I'm not, and I, I can't just keep do, I can't do take two of the best show either. Um, so it was, it felt like I wanted to really weigh the words and the way I told the story. And because the reality is of doing the best show, or I guess doing any broadcast or podcast or whatever people are doing, you can go in with the best of intentions and the room can just feel different on a certain day. I could have eaten too much before the show. I could have eaten not enough. And now I'm just like, not I don't, my equilibrium is not ideal to go into uncharted territory on certain days. And sometimes you don't know that you're not ready for that until you're halfway through it. You're, Cause there'll be times I'll be, oh, I'm going to tell this story on the show. And then I start telling it and it's just like, man, this just isn't clicking today. Like something's off with me and this was the wrong day to try to do this. And the things in the book were just too big for me to, to even take the chance on that. And I also just, just for sheer, sheer privacy, the sheer privacy of it all, certain things I was just like. I don't feel like putting this out there. It's that's not entertainment to me. It's just the show. The best show is ultimately entertainment in one form or another. And those things were kind of did not feel like entertainment to me talking about mental health and, and all that stuff was just like, I just didn't feel like that was ever. The I think right I've place. mentioned this to you. I think the big, the, the biggest bombshell to me was that your last name is not in oh. fact Sharpling. Oh, I know that. I knew that was coming. that just like blew me away. Yeah, and you were happy that I was a member of the 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 tribe. Italian, the tribe. A proud Italian yeah, American. Exactly, a proud Italian. So proud that I did everything <laughs> I could to run from it. Um. Yeah. Now, it, and like, and my last name is unclear to people what it is. It's 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 Catholic more than anything else. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, but but it's a kind of thing. But you get what it is with a thing where it's yeah. Like, I mean, I think that's the thing. It's like you don't really get a lot of like proud examples of Italian no. Americans for the most part. Yeah. I mean, you get that there's a good number of actors. You know, you get like there's some musicians. Like I'm like, off the top of my head, like uh, Guy from Fugazi. You know. Yeah. But it helps when you're Guy from Fugazi that you're also like a cool guy and you're doesn't like you've got volume to help. That's the one thing I'm, I realize more and more over time. It's like musicians have an escape hatch of volume that they can they can turn it back on the audience on a bad night and just blast them. And hurt their ears, and everybody else can't do that. It's just like there's such a force to to mask bad bad experiences and fear or whatever through volume that that performing with like just doing a podcast or whatever. It's just like 
I we we don't have that. I mean, oh look, although who am I to say <laughs> I punish people with bad audio all the time on the show with well, figure annoying. I'm thinking of the party zone. That's like like oh, many yeah. many years ago, but that's one of the most amazingly passive aggressive things I've ever heard on our in radio or anything. That was the definition of passive aggressive. And for people who don't know what you're talking about, it was me dumbing the show down to. <laughs> to to the absolute kind of like if this is what you people want then this is what it will sound like if you think the call this is on wfmu so it's even more aggressive oh yeah it was more it would be normally because i'm being aggressive to one of the most hyper aware um proudly proudly intelligent uh audiences the like a bunch of proud know-it-alls and i say that as somebody who is a proud know-it-all or has been a proud know-it-all at, at different points but it's like yeah they didn't want to hear that that's the one thing i did realize also is that in the scheme of things everybody always talks about comedy and music mixing comedy and indie rock mixing they don't mix uh past a point <laughs> they just don't they uh comedy is comedy and you kind of can do one or the other and funnily enough you, 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 you partnered... make songs that are funny yeah. and you can make uh jokes about music yeah you can but it's also like you can do one or you can do the other and it's ironic that i'm partnered with the person who can actually do both um with with john worster who's one of the few humans who i honestly feel should be doing both because everybody else is funny for a musician and john's just actually as funny as anybody's ever been and is also an insanely talented drummer um but yeah i just feel like that uh, the audience they just i don't know maybe they just they their their ability to handle humor uh there were limits to it it, I mean, a lot of the early stuff you were doing was kind of playing on that tension with the WFMU audience. Oh, yeah. No, there was a the show was in its early days. I will say this also, Matthew, you might you might not know this or maybe you do know this. I believe you were the first person to interview me about the show. You, oh, God. I'm yeah. Pretty that's sure. Still on Flux blog somewhere. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the first interview I did for the best show. And I think you came to the studio and we did it in that side studio. If I remember correctly, I just like, but it was like back then the show was very inside baseball in terms of WFMU where I would make fun of other shows on the station. It was almost like meant to be the comic relief of WFMU. And where where so much of the humor was was based on teasing other shows on the on the station and teasing other DJs and having fun like that and then there was I mean, a lot a lot of jokes early on the first like 7 or 8 years that are just about audiophiles or yeah like extreme music nerds like oh, the yeah. music scholar one comes to mind yeah absolutely and those were those and obviously rock rotten rule that's, yeah. that's the first I, I, the, I the first my expo- my first exposure show was 
I found that CD at Other Music, and I bought it on a whim. Oh wow! Well, that's all. That's awesome. That's another feather in Other Music's cap. Then that's nice. Um, which one did you have? The one with the 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 drawing on the cover, or the 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 computer graphic? It's the first one. I mean, this is like oh, two thousand one. That cover, yeah, that cover was just like text all over it. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was definitely of its. Of its time, I guess that was our version of of those like Master P album covers that <laughs> could only be where you could trace it pretty much to the month based on what was going on in the world of computer graphics. Um, no, we, but yeah, it was funny because there was a point where I really did think of a way where I wasn't going to make references to other shows on the station anymore because I wanted the show to be its own thing and not be just like the, like I said, like the comic relief of, uh, of WFMU and you assume everybody knows every show on the station. I kind of wanted the show to just be a standalone thing, like kind of being an Island and it um, could be and and the 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 podcasting part of things reinforced that. Where I was just like, yeah, the show's being heard by people who don't know what WFMU is. I'm the I'm the I'm the entry point for this station now. That changed everything when suddenly it was like, oh man, there's people who don't know anything about WFMU who know this show. Right. It may as well be a a, a, a fictional thing like WKRP. Absolutely. And it was just a kind of this point where I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to play to the house all the time. And that's like, that's one of my least favorite things. And there's certain bands that, I mean, I shall remain nameless. Um, that I feel like they play to the they play to the super fan first, and it's like, look, you always gotta you always gotta throw the super fan a bone because they're they're the they're always there for you, and you always got to appreciate anybody who's there. But they can't drive the bus either because then you're saying if we play to the two percent, then ninety eight percent of the people inherently have no way of getting on board with this. Like, because you're only doing deep cuts and you're already playing from the next album when people barely got to learn the new album. And look, I'm sure people oh, can figure that out is what rough. I'm talking about. Um, oh, there's tons of people do that. Well, name, name one and I'll, I'll... I'm trying to think of like a good example off my head. Yeah, just bleep it out I mean, if you I'm, can. Can you bleep something? Well, I'm thinking of um, Animal Collective is like that. Sure. Like, they're aggressively mm-hmm. like that. Like, they are, I, I was, they, they are doing a tour right now for a record that came out this year, but they're playing, like, maybe three songs out of that and, like, seven songs that aren't released yet. Yeah. They're, they're, they're that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting. I, look, I'm excited whenever anybody is so passionate about music that they can't shut it off. It's like... Those are the kind of musician. Those are the kind of artists that I always eat it up when, when there's just, when, when they are just, when it's pouring out of them and they can't, they can't help it. It's like Neil Young's one of my all time favorites. And he is just legendary for frustrating the audience 
But yeah. then after the fact, but then like two years later, everybody goes, oh yeah, no, I saw him play those songs, but I didn't know what they were yet. There's that song. And it seems like he also go through, goes through phases where he does want to just throw out crowd pleasers. He's, he doesn't really have any set way of being. No, he, he, Neil Young, you know, we've been doing this podcast, this thing where we analyze the catalog of Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, all their output. Um, and it's just a living nightmare to do because most of the work is the catalog is just atrocious. But one of the good parts about it has getting to, you know, Neil Young's one of my favorite artists ever and getting to really zero in on each release in chronological order has been very eye opening because you start to realize Neil Young has this impeccable kind of compass built into his heart or his soul or his brain that lets him know when it's time to get weird, when it's time to be loud, when it's time to be quiet. Like he, he just, and whether he's following his own instincts, like as if he's just following a, as if it's just like charting the rhythms of a, of a, of an artistic flow where you want to counter a quiet thing with a loud thing or you want to counter the loud thing with a strange thing, but he is just the master of it. And I feel like what that did though, just from a sheer commercial standpoint, he never lost the audience. He never truly lost the audience because he would ultimately give them what they wanted. If they showed some patience, it's like, yeah, I might do Greendale, which is going to be me just playing this bonkers concept album straight through. The next tour is going to be me with Crazy Horse, and you're going to get what you want from it. Like he, like right. So he never he has his own kind of social contract. Exactly. Though. He he has a, con, a social contract, kind of ultimately just with himself, but it is with the audience as well because he knows how much they can take of him going off the off the road for uh for a while and it's what's kept him uh engaging in a way that he never did just become a legacy act he's still chasing it still making new records and but he also knows that people do want to hear him do uh like a hurricane and so it's it's interesting to that 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 is not what I wanted the show to be. And I still feel like the show suffers from it too much uh, now and again of the, the number one complaint I've heard about the best show is I don't know where to start. And that's the thing with people. They don't, they just don't know where to get in because there's so much of it and they'll listen and they'll be like, Oh, you make too many references. There's references. Thing. I had no idea what you're talking about. And the thing is, everybody has to realize I'm the only one that knows all of it. Like I'm literally talking just to make sense to myself, which is kind of an exciting place to get to. But I feel like it's kind of built into the into the thing that you're not going. Nobody's going to get all of it. Because if you like the indie rock, there's a lot of things that through the years I will realize, especially stuff with the the stuff you do with John. Well, realize that something you said was real as opposed to just a a joke you made. Yeah. I mean, we get, we get caught up in, 
Like, do you have a, is there something you can think of that's an example? Oh, God. Off the top of my head, no. It's just kind of. <laughs> sure. But it's like. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and, but there's there's just like also just like tons of just random phrases are lodged in my head. Yeah. Look, for from the, from over the years. one of the things I've heard over the years from people is I had no idea that Wawa was a real convenience <laughs> chain. And then I was in Pennsylvania and I saw one and I couldn't believe it. I thought you guys made that up. And it's like just all the Playboy Roy stuff. Yeah, all, but they <laughs> totally fictional. But they thought that that was just like a funny fictional detail we came up with, and they're just like, "Oh my god, no, they're real." It's like mm. Roy is like weirdly real to me, and I've I've seen John as Roy maybe maybe four <laughs> times yeah, in my uh-huh. life, and every time like. All of my adult intelligence disappears. I'm like a child and I'm at Disneyland and like, oh my God, that's Donald Duck. <laughs> he is. He's real. He he literally is larger than life to where it would be like Santa Claus just showed up and mm-hmm. it's, and it's Philly boy Roy because he reads. I mean, it's like one of the, it's one of the things I'm most proud of are these characters like that, that read as. Like, it's like Fonzie or it's like whatever. It's just like a weird character that you're, you're, you're excited about. And, and just, even if he's an awful person, he's just likable enough that you just want to know he's still around and he's doing okay. Like you're, you're rooting, you're not rooting for him, but you're not rooting against him either. Like, so wait, so with with a character like that, there's a, there's a few characters who really kind of come and they kind of stick around. What does what makes those distinctive to you? The ones where you know, oh, there's a lot of gas in that tank. We can we can just drive this forever. Oh, um, man, that's a good question because I I feel like at some point we we go back and forth from character first, premise second, or premise first, character second, and there's calls where it's all about the premise and it'll be like, and then whoever the person is, they can just say, Hey Tom, it's bill from Newbridge. Doesn't matter who they really are. Cause they're going to get to a premise. Other care, other, other calls are just all character. And it's just like checking in with them. It's like vis- visiting an old friend where you're going to see what they're up to now. Right. And it's, yeah. So I'm thinking like one of my, favorites of the probably i don't know it's probably like six or seven years old now but do you remember the one that you did with the uh the tribute bands the character like alder lansington oh i don't i don't know matthew what, what was oh, it that's about? one of my all-time what it, favorites what was it about what what uh john was a character who uh was managing all these incredibly awful tribute bands that are all kind of high concept like tribute yeah bands. okay i remember like, this now yeah yeah it um, and that one has just so many of like my favorite weird phrases. It, uh, it. It's those those are the ones that like because you said the character's name and it's just like the reality is is like a lot of times I don't know the name until John sends me notes that day, and then it's just <laughs> like because they're just names. We're just coming up with names. We've done hundreds of these, and it's just like they're they're almost meant the names are almost meant to be a little blurry 
sometimes to seem like slightly like there's nothing to hold on to with the names because the premise is what you're going to hold on to, if that makes any sense. Right. And it doesn't make sense for that character to come back unless you want to do more tribute bands or you have an entirely new scheme and you just want to reuse some of that. That's exactly it. Yeah. But there's other characters where it's just like the idea of the character is everything. And then you're just in like what they're up to can be kind of um, can be big or small. And it's uh, it's interesting because I'm reading this book right now that's this really frustratingly stupid oral history of star wars i have no idea why i'm reading it i don't care <laughs> anymore but i don't ever need to kn- is, is that a recent book i think it came, out, yeah, it came out about it like a few months ago um it's look it's very interesting but personally i i should be doing better in terms of my reading choices than that um that seems like something that really would be that would feed into the best show one way or another. Well, I guess that's what I'm ultimately thinking is that there's something I'm going to mine from this, I guess. Um, But one interesting thing in it that I got to say, George Lucas was really smart about was he was saying that it's like the, every, every sci-fi movie up to that point with, you know, I guess with a couple exceptions, maybe, but, they all had um, spacey soundtracks. Like they all like it's all it's all electronics, and it's meant to it's meant to keep you. It's meant to just sound like the future. The music was meant to sound like the future. The the score for the movie. They all had theremins, and they all had just just it's it. But he decided like, no, this movie has enough space in it, enough unknown in it let's come let's do a completely traditional soundtrack so the audience has something that they feel comfortable with this whole time even if they're going into uncharted territory right the music- and, you, and you look into the john williams stuff oh, that's yeah. just so catchy and immediately it's such a big part of it yeah like that and like the the ralph mcquarrie designs i think is like so much of people liking star wars to this day absolutely no that stuff is the that stuff is the the lifeblood to the whole thing is just the the those initial designs held the whole time with some but they have the entire TV shows that are basically based on those designs yeah it's it's the the level of of um how much was answered in immediately with certain things with that with with Star Wars is um really interesting that the music answered so many questions right off the bat and grounded the whole experience for people. When people were watching cuts of the movie saying this sucks, they would still even say the score is great though. Like that, that music is, is amazing. That's what, that's what's working for you. And he was still searching for everything else to work at different points in the process. Um, but it's just, but that's that thing with these characters we do, I guess, to take a very long uh, road back would be um, that sometimes it's like, it's about the character and the character's the familiar part and they can go anywhere they want. And sometimes it's just, it's just like, it's, there needs to be something to hold on to, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. 
And I didn't. I, I didn't also realize with a character like that. Roy, it's like your version as a person doing comedy of like of doing like okay, I'm, I'm Neil Young. It's time to just do a tour where I'm playing like my most beloved songs. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we wanna we wanna please people, and we wanna keep it fresh for ourselves, and we wanna have fun. It, it's just it's 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 all it's all like a tightrope and it's just, especially when you're this far in on a thing because so, so right now, the, like in the past few months, like you're doing an interesting experiment where you're using the same character over and over and over. Yeah. Which is something uh, and it's Bruce Springsteen, it's Bruce Springsteen, which is something we've wanted to do for forever is do just a, 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 a run with a character, just do a, do a long week after week. It's like a residency and um just see what that feels like because we've never done it before we've talked about it and we never could figure out the something that made sense character wise to come back over and over and we just figured it would just be this what if it's the guy who just sold his catalog for a half billion dollars (laughs) who who is just still one of the weirdest people his music is so not weird but he's weird i have a question have you watched a thing he did recently where it's like a maybe 20 30 minute long interview he did with eddie vetter upon the release of eddie vetter's most recent record no i didn't i didn't it's the first time i'd really watched him talk for a while and it's also uh happened it came out like while you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And it's like, wow, this is not only is John really on target is that your version is not as weird as the real. one. That's the thing is it's like, it is the, the current one, anyway. the current one. He's a, he's a, I mean, he's, he ultimately is, a, is somebody I, I guess I would, he's been, a, he's cast a long shadow over my whole life growing up in New Jersey how could Bruce Springsteen not cast a shadow over everything? And he did. And, um, but he, so he's somebody I've had this, this, this awareness of forever. I've gone through stretches where I'm like, I want literally nothing to do with this guy. I'm figuring out indie rock and I'm figuring out these other things. Why would I go see somebody at giant stadium when I could go see them at a, a, a place, a 200 seat club and see somebody who's like on the ascent. And why would I, why would I go see somebody in a stadium? So I, there were points where I just had no use for it, but then you listen to the records and the, it's just like the records are not the live show. The records are their own thing. I've just had a very long, long relationship with this guy's music, and it's very important to me ultimately. And he's important to me for kind of what he represents as being a, um, yeah, like a true just slob that nobody, nobody wanted him to be who he was. Like that was not, he kind of by force of will. You know, I got to say, Tom, as a person who's been collecting the issues of Rolling Stone from the 70s and 80s, mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. They really wanted it so bad. No, but by that point, they did. By seven, by yeah. look, you you want to talk about Rolling like Stone prior to 75? 
I'm saying prior to 75, nobody knew what to do mm. with him yet. He didn't, he didn't know what yeah. to do with himself yet. But by the time, by the time of born to run, he had, he had figured it out by then and figured out how to play this, this icon character kind of being the amalgam of everything that rock music was where he's a little bit of Elvis. He's a little bit of Roy Orbison. He's a little bit of Bob Dylan. He's just, he's a little bit like he, he made sure he had Dion. He had everything going on it that took, but that took years to get to that point. But by the time it did, once you get on that roll, look, Rolling Stone also wanted the freaking Jay Giles band to be the biggest band on earth. Go read those (laughs) issues. You've never seen a magazine do more, more water carrying for a band than they did for the Jay Giles band. Like they want it cream too. I have some cushions of cream where they're excited about Jay Giles. Band. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least that has a, at least that has some sort of ties to like Detroit and that like them being like a post Mitch Ryder, uh, Bob Seeger kind of thing. Now I just, I'm t- I don't know who I'm talking for right now when I talk <laughs> about this stuff. This is me. I might as well be in bed having these thoughts. Um, but it's the kind of thing where he was, he was truly, he, he did not, I, what I mean to say in a larger sense, nobody was looking to sign artists from New Jersey. Nobody wanted that. Like nobody was saying like, well, there's a scene, there's, there's a scene in Asbury park. Let's go down with a record contract. And see what's up. It's like you had to go to New Jersey. You had to go to New York to kind of crack their thing. He was definitely off the grid for uh, for an inordinate amount of time figuring his thing out. And it took a while. He has two records before Born to Run that are a little bit. They're great, but they're all over the place. And he sounds a little bit like Phil Linnett sometimes. And a little bit like Bob Dylan other times. He's just he just hasn't found the true voice yet. Um, but he also just straight up, I mean it as much as anything from, he just, he had no money growing up. He was a legitimate slob. His, you know, right. his that, that literally kind of worked at a factory. You characterize him where he's like this, like cheapskate who is constantly uh, bashful. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, well, that's now we're just like, but then you take that guy and now that, what if that guy, suddenly became oh a, 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 like figured out the way to be a legend and he did figure out a way to be a legend and that was and he kind of dodged a lot of the pitfalls that that bring people down and found he took his thing from being like an album oriented artist to then he has a hit single then he has like one of the biggest albums you could have like he kept going up and up and up. And by the time he was at that highest point was when I was like, no, I'd rather go f- check figure out who's do or something and see what that is. Cause they're playing at Rutgers and I can go see that and, and maybe say hi to the band afterwards or something. Well, I mean, ultimately you were clicking into a moment that was, <laughs> that was, you know, not going to stick around. Yeah, but you, I think you made the wise decision uh, well, where to but it, put the priority. But at that point, it seemed like it was it's truly seemed like it was never going to end. The the I don't know, it just was it was so smothering how how big 
that was to every aspect of the culture because like think about the you go over that 80s list it's michael jackson it's prince it's madonna and it's bruce springsteen is that is that yeah i think i think you can kind of you there's quite like a second tier that's like u2 george michael i'm still saying if you're if you're talking first half of the 80s u2 is not there yet you know yeah they don't really click to like 84 85 yeah i mean and but then to go to the next level i mean for them to truly for their ascent i mean they still had they still had a couple more years to go they were not a part of the first wave of stuff they were kind of like punk on MTV. yeah there, there's if you kind of look at it there's there's definitely stuff that's more of the early 80s so like hall and oats would still be going pretty strong into the early 80s yeah i would still say with hall and oats hall and oats Hall Notes was never an album band and the singles define them in a lot of ways in every way. And they should, because they're, they're one of the all time yeah. greatest singles artists, but it, Bill Collins kind of in the same boat, same there. boat. Like what is like, look, I like Hall Notes a lot and I don't know what you would say is the Hall Notes album that you have to listen to. Oh, it's it's the it's the great it's the first greatest yeah, hit. It's, it's the like Rock the and Rock Soul, and Soul part one, yeah, hundred percent. And that's it's like, it's like them and Squeeze have two of the best hits albums. They were touring together like recently. Yeah, and that's did not undeniable. That, yeah, yeah, it's just like, but yeah, it, this guy was so huge at that point, and it was like to imagine being from where the huge guy is from was punishing if you were looking for anything other than that. So getting into the, the comedy of Bruce Springsteen, uh-huh. like what is it about him that, you know, you and John find kind of endlessly workable? I mean, how many episodes you've done with this? Maybe like 10 now? Yeah, we've done at least 10, I think. it's. I think it's the fact that he talks. He's like, for a guy who is as great at this as he is, he kind of talks too much and intros the songs a little too the intros are a little too long to the song sometimes he's just like he's like a weird like dad guy like in the way the culture presents dads he is like that he's just like the he's he tells corny jokes on stage and i don't know i just i just think there's but if but he also is like this american icon who is also my favorite str- of the jokes dad. from from the Springsteen stuff uh-huh. is the uh, there's one where he's I think it's it may have been around Easter or something uh, where he's talking about some kind of a punishment ritual but he's like uh-huh. the thing he uh-huh. says is like I'm not very spiritual but I'm very religious <laughs> that, that is that's <laughs> the most that's one of the most John lines ever and I love like yeah that is like. Those are the ones like John, John will come up with these things that just kill me. And he, I know he's holding them for me for the moment. Like I could, well, he had one caller say, I forget what it was saying that they started microdosing gasoline. And that was one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard in my life. And it was just the perfect joke. For 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 this time, to and it was just like, oh my god, John, that's a, that's maybe that would be somebody's greatest joke, and you're just powering through it like you were gonna. That was almost thrown away the way you said it. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the appeal of the show is in that, though. Just like there's a, a lot of the best ones; those have like this incredible density of jokes. Well, that's yeah, that's always, and they're mostly mostly just seem improvised or tossed off. Yeah, I mean, well, some of the some of the things are like some of them are improvised a uh, pretty pretty much uh, or very loose, and other ones are very tightly scripted. But we just, I think we're at a point now where we can have so much fun with the loose ones and that now we just kind of come up with stuff in them just to surprise the other person. Like just to keep, just to make me laugh. Like John curses now when I least expect it just because he knows that I'm, because I, because it's not me expecting it. And I'll just throw things at him. Like I'll just take the thing off on detours now and he doesn't know where it's going. And it's just, it's just fun. And it's just like, I don't know. It's so fun that we get to do the Bruce Springsteen thing of all the characters that that's now, he's now a best show character that apparently knows the other characters also. That was also that <laughs> it was like inevitable for when yeah. Bruce starts mentioning Sheila Larson or Roy Ziegler and you just it's just like yeah this it, it that's where we're going so when do Sheila we Sheila Larson that? the great unseen character the great unseen character the great unseen yeah um, unheard unseen yeah one of the all-timers so it's getting a little bit more broad on this this is something you've been doing for is it 22 now 22 years um it'll be it's it's 21 it'll be 22 in october yeah i mean my like my site just turned 20 and i think like one of the things we have in common there's not a lot of people i know who've done something independent for as long Mm -hmm. and i mean i think looking to your show has been helpful in just kind of seeing the ways that you know to do something that long you have to kind of change it up so like what how much of that for you has just kind of been uh very conscious versus stuff that you just kind of did naturally. And this became like a big part of things. Um, you know, it's so, it's so tricky to say it's like, I would never, it's like, and you tell me if, if, if somebody had put in front of you like a contract saying like, Hey, you want to do this music blog, this thing where you, you put these things up, you're going to do it. You're not going to monetize it necessarily, but, you're going to do it for 20 years now. You'd be like, yeah. absolutely. And, not. and it won't say anywhere. Like everything good in your life will kind of come from. Yeah, this. exactly. You're going to get, you just have to take a leap on that. You're going to take a leap that, that things will come from it that are not financial that could ultimately be financial, but yeah, but there, it's not a direct line. You're not going to get literally paid for this thing anytime soon. And if you, and, and in my case, if I tried, I would be, very very suable yes you'd be you'd you would have to shut the site down within 48 hours of you monetizing uh certain aspects of things it it is yeah it's the kind of thing i never would have signed up for it but it just ended up fitting my life early and it was just it was kind of like I just kind of knew it was what where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. It, you, it just made sense. 
can you even fathom what your life would be like if you never did it? I can't. I I truly. It, yeah. I, it's like it's like you pull one thread, the whole thing goes. Oh yeah. There's no. There's. It's everything. It's. It led to. I mean, the show. Just right off the bat, the show led to me getting to meeting Andy Breckman, who created Monk, and that was a job, and that got me in the door for writing and just stuff that who knew who knew where any of it was would who knew where any of it would lead impossible like just but in terms of the the idea of tracking you were asking more about like tracking changing the changes of things like the the, when, when you introduce something and it kind of this becomes you know part of the fabric of it I just, you know, and that yeah. can be like, you know, like Mike becoming a big part of the mm-hmm. show or, you know, you're doing the, the audio collages. Yeah. I, it's just, uh, you know, it's funny. I think if we're, if everything has some sort of musical parallel, I think of like, I think of like the way like certain bands change when it's they change maybe a a beat before the audience is ready for them to change but it was the best thing for everybody and then there's bands that just don't change they change a beat too late and then it's just wait it's just over by that point it's like i think the worst thing is when you change too late but you're also changing to appease something or you're trying to like okay maybe if i do this people will like me again or yeah because then now you're just in a scramble now you're just now that that means you've just you've just lost your way because now you're you're not making organic decisions um i feel like like look at i mean you look at the ramones and it's like the ramones i feel like made four or five perfect I would say four perfect albums. And then they just never really, they dip their toe into working with Phil Spector and see about modifying the formula, but they, it really wasn't, it just wasn't what it, they didn't really take any bold artistic thing outside of just trying to be a little more radio friendly. And then there was just a point where it's like, well, why would I ever need another Ramones album? The the four best ones are out already. They're only going to give me yeah. less. And, and so much of the Ramones is like this, the idea that they had, it's kind of like a format that they figured out. And then I think when you have something like that, you need to kind of keep adding new things. So like, you know, I think a, a good counter example would be like the fall. Yeah. The fall is a very simple idea, but it's always changing. It's like the, the thing John Peel said about them. It's like always the same and always different. Yeah, I mean, it's like the, the one I the fall is a, a great example of that because they knew they because he knew when to start adding different elements, different players that would lead to different elements, and they they made transitions into incorporating electronics and keyboards into stuff, and it was it was really seamless in its own way. And I mean, as long as you have that voice there, it's the fall. As long as you have that voice. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's like, if you listen to something, listen to like, like, uh, like code selfish or a record like that versus the, uh, some of the early stuff. And you're just like, that voice is the only constant. And just mm. the, uh, uh, 
but the but there is there is a constant that it is basically like there it's he just he hits he taps into these grooves and he know he always knew how to to ride a groove as well as anybody um i just i think of like the way think about how like radiohead and it's so easy now to be just like yeah kid a makes perfect sense to everybody it's like man everybody was so mad at that when it came out <laughs> It's crazy to think how mad people were at that when you hear how things sound now. It sounds like the most log. It was a weirder thing would have been if they made a more rock record after OK Computer. You'd be like, that feels more out of step with 2022 than anything now. If they all of a sudden had some big. Oh yeah, I mean, there's entire lanes of music now that are kind of hard to imagine they would exist the same without Radiohead doing what they did at that point in time. Yeah. But, but they like, they just kind of made a whole way for like uh indie alt bands to exist. Yeah. And there was also just a level of, they were, they knew they had to make changes with this thing for the, well, for the just greater interested good. in other things. Yeah. But, the, but it was also it was like, this thing might as well not exist if we're not going to make changes with it. And it's just like, because yeah. then we did it. If we're going to do a rock, if we're going to do just another straight up rock record, it's like, well, are, are we going to do one better than OK Computer? It's like, yeah, or the bands. Yeah, they're, they're very hard to top. Yeah. And it's just like, so, so they, they knew they needed to go somewhere different. And there's even things with them where I'm just like, I hated uh, King of Limbs King so of much. Limbs? But then I, if it took me forever. And then I finally was like, one day I'm like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. They were ahead of me on that. I was wrong. I thought they just, I thought this was just a sucky record, but I just wasn't ready for it apparently, which is kind of embarrassing. I think most people are that way with the King of Limbs though. And the King of Limbs also being so brief. Yeah. I remember like when it came out, people were very convinced that there was another one coming right away. People thought it's just like, well, this has to be the first half of a, a two parter that will make sense in once it's all out, then we will know what the goal was here. And what they were trying to say when it was like, no, they were trying, they, they said what they were trying to say. Um, yeah. I think part of the point is that it's, it's tight. It's eight songs. Yeah. I look, I love it. And you it's, it's, but it's, it is embarrassing when there are things that can make that I can figure that I figured out much more difficult things that I figured out earlier in my life quickly and then something that like that album, which is not the most in like impenetrable record, and I couldn't penetrate it for it took forever. So, but it happened. Yeah, uh, I mean, that thing with music and art in general is that you kind of have to be there for it, and this being there for it in any given moment is not going to happen. Sometimes I feel like people can be hard on themselves about that. Like, oh, I just it couldn't. There's all sorts of things I didn't get into, like till relatively late, because I just didn't really get around to it. or just wasn't on the same page. Well, that's a that's no a it's, it's a it's a fair point. It's just like I, I mean, they're it. not going to delete it. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> I guess in some cases they do delete it, but yeah, yeah. Well, they yeah, but it still it is it is. Um, I guess getting back to the changes thing of it all, it really is. I try to know in my gut when something when there's somewhere to go and um when there's somewhere to go i can kind of feel it and i'll try to figure it out and 
see what that's like. And then I think there's enough of the audience now that will at least give it a fair shake. And if it turns out it's not a good fit or if it was a failed conceit, then it's a failed conceit. I'll probably, I, I would hopefully know sooner than, than people all that would know, or at least when they would know, I wouldn't keep doing it over and over and just be just like going down a bad road. Um, are, are there things that you remember that this felt wrong and you just kind of got rid of it? Yeah. One thing that felt really wrong, um, is like doing unfair record reviews, which kind of go, look, I think it, it was me trying to be funny by just picking on a record and even just picking on it, even if I didn't feel the way I felt about it. And there's always laughs to get from that, but there, it's definitely, it's the definition of low hanging fruit and it's hard enough to make things. You don't need somebody making fun of it and you really don't need somebody making fun of it without believing what they're making fun of where it was like the, well, the, well it also is the world has more than enough of that now is people it's it's just like we're because it's like that's that's hot takes is what that is yeah and it's all over youtube for sure that's a huge lane of youtube is old guys talking about how much they hate new music yeah but it's like and you look at the other side of things and it's exciting to watch some 15 year old hear you know a beastie boys record for the first time and be just like like what is this oh my god i don't know what this is and they're like like who are these guys? Like they have no, they have nothing even resembling context for it. They're like, what year was this? Who are they? I don't know what they look like. I don't know what year this came out, but I like this record. And you're like, man, that's the, that's the exact opposite. That's so pure. It's so pure and it's so beautiful. And that I would do these things where I would just pick on people knowing better is literally the opposite of that. And it's the opposite of really who I want to be as a person. And because it, it just felt like it just felt like picking on somebody at school or something, you know, it's just like it's that's that's all that is. It's just because because you can make jokes doesn't mean you have to make them. It's just and that's that's all that was. And I, I don't look, I didn't destroy anybody's career with it. I'm just talking about what I was doing on my own show. And I just don't like it's a it's a bad look is, I guess. What yeah. What I'm well, one of the things I've, I've kind of thought a lot about especially when it comes to social media i've kind of really limited my social media to mostly just kind of just put things out that are just kind of positive because especially the thing like twitter is just full of just people screaming and just Mm -hmm. agony (laughs) so just trying to keep things either just promoting stuff that i have or just here's a thing that's nice yeah and it was um it's a good karmic energy to put out. That's, I guess. that's exactly what it is. It really is. It's just like, there's no, I, at a point I tried to do a thing even in my own, even if I never said it out loud, it was like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to go out of my way to like goof on certain things, I have to counter it at least on a one for one basis and say that here's something I really like or here's something that I made, or here's me putting my creative, uh, sticking my creative neck out to just say, I'm not just going to be the person who just craps on stuff like that. That just, that's not who I am. And, and 
those are the tools of lesser people. Those are, those are the people that can't do any better do that. And I can do better. So I wanted to do better. And I had to try it on for size for a bit. And then I realized I don't want to wear that. Yeah. I mean, also, you know, you just don't want to be like the cranky guy. Well, that's the, there's yeah. definitely times where I've noticed like, oh, I'm being the cranky guy. I've, I've, I've like, there's, I remember like some periods of time where I was just kind of like, probably just depressed. Kind of. Yeah. That's, and you just like, that's, that's how you get your stupid energy out is just being, yeah. you know, just kind of prickish. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. And it's just like, because you've got the, you've got the chair, you're sitting in the chair that can allow you to be that way. It's like the, the chair and the platform give you permission if you choose to be that way. But the thing is, yeah, you can, but it's like, I don't know if, but should like, what are you getting from it? It's outside of just some like low level relief from your own disappointment or depression or whatever it is or your envy or whatever is really driving things. Um, it just, uh, it's just not, it's just not worth it. And it's like, Oh, look, I'm fine. If people think I'm crabby or cranky or whatever, but it's just like, I do know. I, I do know. I like so much stuff and I try to actively say what I like and, and celebrate the stuff I like. And, and get really excited about the stuff I like and, and tell other people about it. Cause it's just like, it's just, that's the, that's, that's who I want to be. And, um, I just feel like for me, I just need to have a balance with it. I'm, I'm okay. Making, making fun of the right, hitting the right targets to, to goof on as long as I've got some balance in there. So where are you, where you're at with the show now, like, the show's pretty much fully in LA as of, I guess, like this month. Yeah. How do you kind of anticipate that going as far as like kind of, do you, do you I mean, like, I imagine most of it's going to stay the same, but do you feel like there's kind of a, a different energy to kind of doing it this way with a new studio with uh, Jason being in the same city as you? Oh yeah. There's, there's actually, I really haven't talked about it. And uh, so I can, I'll talk about it with you. Is that like, Basically, I have a new for for the last two years. I've kind of been doing the show with, and it feels like with at least one arm tied behind my back due to logistical things, due to pandemic things. I just haven't had the access to a studio, which has meant it's been really, it's been a challenge to do a lot of the things from a technical standpoint that I, that I want to do on the show, just straight up doing sound collage stuff, doing the, the kind of alternate universe, uh, things I was doing on the show where I would do fake broadcasts and things. And I was, I was so limited technologically that I couldn't do a lot of that stuff. So the show kind of changed shape and became probably more conversational or more just kind of like a, a little bit more of a hangout than it was uh, that more, more than it had ever been. I, I would. Right. Like, like, like where you would have the other guys kind yeah. of 
pulling a little bit more weight, which I think, you know, I think the moment you stop doing that or like that becomes like a little bit diminished, there's going to be people, people screaming for you to get back with this more chatting with the boys. But that's the thing is like there, but the thing I'm realizing is that there's room for all of it, but I want to be able to, I don't want technical stuff to be the deciding factor on that. Like that's the part. If that's the best version of the show, then so be it. That that'll be the best version of the show, and we'll do that. And I never want to stop doing that in certain ways. But there's other stuff I do want to get back to, and there's new places I want to go. Also, there's there's plenty of new places I want to go, and I now have a studio that is a legit studio. It's gonna have. It's gonna have a performance place in a space in it that I can have bands come. It's going to have. Um, I mean, that's a whole new dimension. It's right a whole there. new dimension, and I want to go. I want to go, and I will say to, to a loose goal. And I usually don't talk so inside behind the curtain the way uh, I am now, but uh, who cares? You, you, get but, you know, someone's like 110 minutes into this. Exactly. Right? Somebody's They're very they, invested yeah, in they've this. already, they've already said I'm here for the long haul. And also I'm talking to somebody who has been here from the beginning. So if I'm ever going to talk with anybody like this, it should be you. So, um, I want to kind of think about the show in a way as almost I'm not going to, it's not a reboot of the show at all, but I want to just clean some stuff up with it and make it so that it's almost like the way Marvel would always have things go back to issue one. And, and look, I know there's, there's a fresh jump on point. Yeah. A fresh jump on point for myself as much as artist drawing the best show. Yeah. And there's a new studio and the new city and new opportunities. And I want to be able to take advantage of all that stuff and get the most I can out of it. And I, but I want it to still be the show, but I want to see what it's like, what it's like to not have all of the established go-to moves there for me to, to rely on by default. I want to see what it's like to kind of have to be a little scared going into a show, trying to go to different places with a show, not being able to bail myself out with, with some of the, the standbys that I know can be pleasing, but will all, but ultimately maybe I've done it already. I want to just, I feel like, there's something exciting about trying to take the show somewhere new again and have, cause now, now basically if this all works out the way the show will be, it will be the best. I will have the best resources I've ever had. I will have arguably all the resources that I had at WFMU with a performance space and uh, equipment and first class studio. And if you've, you know, we're, we're starting to use it cause it's, I'm in conjunction with, uh, the forever dog podcast network that, um, right. Oh yeah. We, we didn't mention before that you have a whole other show whole, that you do with, with Julie, with Julie Klausner. I do a show called double threat and we have a forever dog. And I, we have a studio in Los Angeles 
and it's great. It's so great and it's so impressive and I get so inspiring. And now I have the ability to do the things I could do at WFMU from a technical standpoint, but I can also have the freedom that I had uh, in the post WFMU era. So there's a version of things where I see this as being a chance to really go somewhere exciting again and see what the new balance of things would look like. Cause um, I think it's pretty much going to start up end of the goal is to have the first, the, the last week of May, which I think is like literally the 31st be the kickoff show where we'll have a band in studio and we'll just, we'll just jump in and get it and I can go back. I can go do sounds collages again because the setup lets me do that again. And I can do all the things I want to do audio wise again that I couldn't do for the last couple of years because I didn't have a studio because of the, I had a studio and I was getting closer to doing the stuff and then pandemic uh, studio shut down. But now, now we're able to do, um, the things I want to do. And that's, it's, I'm very excited about the show and it's a chance for me to kind of recommit to the show also. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the idea of like kind of giving it that space so you can kind of, like, like we said, like come back with a new number one issue. Yeah. And I'm excited about it. I don't want to like, it's, it's just like the, like a couple weeks ago, they just put a Mary, uh, amazing Spider-Man number one, like for the eighth time. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And look, maybe, maybe some of those have, less uh less artistically minded motivators i guess is fair to say but there also is a thing that is completely fair and square that people need to like i said i just don't want to play to the two percent that know everything and can hang with it they there's going to be there's going to be more than enough for them because look it's still me doing it it's still unavoidable this is these are just general guidelines i want to try to see where it leads but it's not like suddenly i'm going to i'm not doing a dumbed down version of the show like that would be the that would be the truly the worst nightmare it's just like oh now he's doing a slick version of the best show absolutely not that's like <laughs> the la yeah, the la the, best yeah, show the west show is what i i and i think maybe there's going to be some version of a bad like that that should be a fake version of the show within the body of the show is the West show. That is just <laughs> everyone's nightmare of what me in Los Angeles would sound like. So yeah. look, I'm, you're going to, you're going to need a, 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 like a silver Lake, uh, yeah. <laughs> silver Lake or something version of Roy. Yeah. We're gonna, yeah. Silver, silver Lake Sal. <laughs> um, now I just, I'm very excited about what's, next with it because there is a chance to do something um that i could be just a little scared of and it's a it, the best stuff from the show has come from those episodes where i'm in there and i'm just like man this is i'm i'm i have a knot in my stomach right now this is uncharted territory what if i just eat it in front of everybody and it's like i always feel the best about those nights because I know that fear is a good thing. Yeah. Well, okay. Let's wrap on one thing, but actually connects to the word fear. 
there's one thing that yeah. really stuck with me. This little tiny moment in the book. Okay. Where I think you're maybe 13 or 14 and you're seeing uh, a very young R.E.M. probably for Murmur and you're yeah. just kind of terrified of the young Michael Stipe. Yeah. Well, he was, <laughs> Tell me more about that. Well, because it, it's, it's, I think it's, you know, you think about him now, I guess he, well, he has the long hair in his face. Is that part of he it? He had the long hair. His basically the closest I can say is if you watch that first, that first Letterman appearance, if I, oh, if yeah. I remember correctly, he's like a mop of hair and you know, not great skin. And you just, he was, he was, you talk about, you talk about being slippery and unable to get a, a handle on who this is. Like, who is this guy? The lyrics are not, are, are, are opaque. Um, they're literally hard to hear. And when you can figure out what they are, they're, they're, they're artful and opaque. And it just was, it, it, it was just hard to get in. And when they were, I mean, that was 84. I saw them and they were, it was, but it was, no, it was, it might've been 83 then. Cause it was not, it was murmur it was before. Reckoning. It was before reckoning. They're probably playing reckoning songs. They're probably, yeah. yeah, I'm sure they were, but it was like, they were not the, they were not, they were, I mean, they were amazingly tight and, and great and rocking and, but they were not, um, they were still just like going for it. They were, they were like a, they were, their thing was based on, on, on power more than it had like at, at more than it ever was again at that point. Like it was the yeah. force. I, I think especially in those early days, like they were, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like, there is this kind of like a, well, this, this is definitely the most punk they were without necessarily being punk, but no, also just kind of having this kind of fight or flight. We're just burning through as many shows in a year as we possibly can. This kind of this maniac energy that like them and a lot of other bands were doing at that time. Absolutely. It's, it seems un, unreasonable to think of anybody working that well, way. Well, they were now. kids. They were kids and they were there to, they were there to do their thing and things they were definitely they were they knew they were right because they were they were having more success than most bands even at that point because murmur was like a top 50 album if i remember correctly um, yeah it did pretty well yeah and i mean the band that i would kind of compare it to is like i think the early days of rem were probably roughly equivalent to like the first like three vampire weekend records they're kind of on a similar track yeah, and I guess the thing that would be different would be the 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 means of consuming music was different. Where it just like, and also just it was just a different. It was different in terms of, you know, REM weren't putting things in commercials or things because in the eighties you would have been, you would have been walked to the, uh, you know, <laughs> they would have made you walk the plank in the eighties. Well, the the Del Fuegos, they're the ones yeah. who got like totally. But that's exactly that. you watch how you watch how they got dragged off a stupid beer commercial, to to where it's still the embodiment of that in 2022. You bring it up, and yeah. it's just like so. There's just it's the the, but yeah. In terms of being in, a, it's rough because like the Del Fuegos are really like written out of history. Oh yeah, and it's mostly for that reason. 
because they were just considered sellouts and it was just um it's such a funny thing that a band could not be on a huge label but could do something and be a sellout but another band could be on a huge label and have credibility it's such a, it's like look that's why that's the the game that never stops getting played the credibility game uh no one wins when you play the game who's who's less of a sellout nobody wins but but you know they were it was scary because also this is the other thing i'll say i was by myself i was at a college thing when i was not even in high school yet so how old were like were you 13 i was 13 yeah yeah and look i'm eternally grateful that i got to see that and let's active opened and they were oh my god yeah, yeah they were that was like right with the with the ep and um yeah, it was just amazing, but they were just, uh, um, it was scary. Michael Snipe was scary then because there was, he was just an image. He was just, a real weird enigma. He was an enigma and there were and blurry Would photos. that be more scary to you than like uh, Henry Rollins would have been at the same time? Oh, I wouldn't have been anywhere near that scene. I was, <laughs> look, if R.E.M. were scaring me. It's very different dearly. forms of scary. Yeah, no. I wanted to go like one's a minotaur and one's a ghost. I wanted, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. I wanted to see as many of these bands as I could, but that stuff truly scared the crap out of me to where I'm just like, no, I don't want to get hurt at this thing. Like, and I just looked like somebody who somebody would, there's no way I would go to a thing like that. And somebody wouldn't have elbowed me in the head and been just like this kid, this kid's asking for an elbow. Like it's elbow time, kid. It, you've reached that point in life. So time for you to get the, the cosmic elbow of existence. Um, there's a weird, there's a real brutality in the 20th century that it, it's kind of a different brutality in the 21st. Oh, absolutely. You, I, but yeah, it's just, I mean, God, there's another part of your book where you're just talking about us being like menaced by these bullies. Oh. It, 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 it seems like such a specifically eighties way of being menaced by bullies. Yeah. The police would have been called now. If, if anybody did one of those things, the police would have shut the school down to get to the bottom yeah. of it. Um, no, it really is. It really is such an interesting um, thing when you like listening, to, like like people used to go see bands and throw f- M80s at them. Like people would go see like Aerosmith, their heroes, and how would they honor their heroes by whipping a, a, an explosive at them? Did you witness that? No, that happened. Like they talked about it. One of the like it's yeah. There's I didn't. I never saw that. I think Worcester might've seen something like that, but even I was listening to these live Springsteen shows and there's one from like 1980 and somebody like lights off a, a bottle rocket or something. And he starts yelling at them from the stage saying like, don't like, what could you imagine if you were at a show now and somebody in the audience fired a bottle rocket toward the stage? Oh God, the whole thing would just like hit the deck. Be show would, over. Because, I mean, God, even just because the, obviously there's things like the was it the, the Babylon in France, like the the kind of massacre oh my situation, God, yeah. which is like everyone is terrified of another one of those. So just like God, one guy with a 180. Uh, yeah. I remember I remember seeing uh, Stereolab when they did their reunion tour a few years ago, uh, and that was at Brooklyn Steel. Okay, and 
there is a guy uh, who's ahead of me and my friend as we were kind of entering and they have like these like metal detectors. A guy actually had a gun and they'd be like, no, you can't bring a gun into the show. Bring a gun to a stereo lab show. (laughs) Yeah, I think the the incongruity with stereo lab makes it all the weirder. Yeah, no, that makes it. Look, he goes, maybe he was scared. Maybe he was worried. He's scared of these stereo lab fans. He, he's afraid of their their trinitone blast he's, that they sing he's about. So worried, he's yes. That vintage equipment. I don't know. <laughs> you don't know what all those moves can do. You don't know where they've been. It's, uh... <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it, it is strange to think of. I, I think a lot of it is just really people could get away with so much more than they can now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and, no, well, you know, there, there's people are awful in different ways now, but there's yeah. just all kind. I mean, even just, well, like there's, you know, even just things like there's not really like serial killers and stuff like that as much as there used to be. Yeah, because that's because it's so much easier to catch them yeah, because they're that. dumb and you don't realize that if 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 you just add in a security camera here and there, these people are the the most catchable criminals going. <laughs> Oh yeah. Meanwhile, the seventies, it's just the seventies. It seems like one of the most terrifying times to be in the United States for sure. No, that's absolutely. No, that just seems like nobody had a problem. If you just punched somebody, it just seems like back then it's just like, yeah, my fists do the talking and somebody like, okay, that's fair. That's I I get that. Like now, if I was just like walking around talking about how I'm going to punch people, People, it would just be- oh god this is reminding me my friend uh molly uh i mean i get all these rolling stones but i i, I give a lot of the ones that i have extra that come in lots mm-hmm. to her and she found this thing that i just never caught it was one of the issues in like the, around 99 or 2000 where it's like celebrities kind of what they want from the future mm-hmm. or what they're making their predictions or whatever and drew barrymore saying uh hold on let me pull this up because i want to get this exactly right because it's insane here we go. This is Drew Barrymore's Hopes for Society, Rolling Stone, December 99. I wish that guns were taken away and people would have to kill each other with bare hands. Oh, my God. You couldn't have drive-by shootings. You couldn't walk into schoolyards and kill people. You'd have to actually have the courage rather than the weakness of pulling your finger. <laughs> well, who knew? <laughs> Drew Barrymore, the social architect here. So we're going to go into her yeah, future. Yeah, I mean, if, listen, if you want to do it, you have to kill them with their bare hands. That's amazing. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I think we should wrap it here. Okay. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for doing this. This has uh, been a little t- while coming, but it's been such a pleasure to do. No, this is so much fun. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate it. Let's, uh, All right. Let's uh, we'll keep talking. <laughs> Thank you.